Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Our Summer Flick series has been uh, truly fantastic. We end it next week. By the way, next week is uh, Mario, Mario movie. And so you want to make sure that every kid that you know is here on that day. And I may or may not be doing something next week. I'll let you figure out what that is. But this has been uh, so great. One of the reasons I love this series is that we take a look at movies that are popular, that people are, are into, and, and that culturally are, are significant. And it's not like we say, oh, we can't find something to teach about in the Bible. We try to unpack maybe some ideas of why people are connecting with these films and look and see if the Bible has something to say on a deeper level about it. But I can almost guarantee, I have a friend of mine that texts me, he lives out of the country. He texts me every single Sunday early in the morning to let me know that he's praying for me and that he's gonna be watching the the message later on online. And uh, today when he texted me, uh, I said, by the way, I just want you to know, thank you for your prayers, but I can almost guarantee I'm the only pastor in America that's gonna be teaching on John Wick 4 today. So uh, the, he, he was like, I, I, he's like, you're probably right about that. Uh, so this, this has been a very fun series. Before we get into the, the actual message, um, I tell you what, our kids are out there about to leave. Literally just stretch your hand out right now. We're gonna pray for the kids at Soul Fire. Got a, over 100, and, I think it's like 150 or 160, including uh, the, the leaders that are going to camp. And we're believing that revival is gonna take place. Amen, that lives are gonna be changed. So Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for our students right now as they're about to leave. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just pour out your presence on Soul Fire Camp more than anything that they've ever experienced, God. We pray that people would step into their calling, that people would be set free, signs and wonders, miracles, healings, God, supernatural visitations from the Holy Spirit. God, we ask that kids would receive their prayer language, Lord, that they would just be set free from guilt and shame from the past, Lord, step into a new dimension of their calling, give our leaders wisdom and insight and boldness. We pray for protection and covering over them, injury-free, Lord, that everything would go smoothly and your favor would be upon the whole camp, God. We thank you for what you're doing in them. Let revival start now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, give God a praise. We're excited about these kids. So um, this this particular message today uh, on John Wick, uh, I'm going to base it on Something that, that may not uh, jump out at you when you see the movie or if you've seen the movie. By the way, when we teach these movies, we're not saying go watch it, for, you know, necessarily. It's like John, this, this is a rated R movie and it's a very violent uh, movie shooting people and killing people. So it's like this, it, the point is not that these are moral things that people should see. We're trying to dig into the ideas of them. But when you look at this concept of John Wick, if you don't know what it is, the original John Wick was about a guy who was a, uh, an assassin for this particular organization that deals with the rules of their organization almost the way, almost with like a religious reverence for those rules, almost like it's the Catholic church or something. It's, it's kind of strange how everyone has these positions and everything's about like blood covenants and, uh, you know, these markers and 
paying debts and that debt is paid, this debt is paid. And and there's a lot of honor. It's strange, but within this world of all these killers, there's a lot of honor on where you go, where you don't go. We're in this building, so we can't have this conversation and you can never kill someone on this place, only on this place, but you're on the open market if you go here. So there's all these really interesting rules uh, that are in this world. But if you were to look at the original John Wick, if you don't know what it is, it kind of starts out with this guy who is a retired assassin and his wife dies and she's been sick with something. We don't know what, but we know that as she was dying, he was like the love of his life. Uh, she arranged to have a, a, a dog, a little puppy dog sent to his house uh, when he was grieving and he's mourning. So he gets this dog and he's this hardened guy he's hurting from his losing his wife and and this dog is like the sweetest little dog and they form this bond and the dog goes everywhere with him well someone from his past comes into his life and totally destroys his house and like messes up his house and kills his dog uh which you just don't want to kill john wick's dog i'll just tell you that right now you don't have to know a lot about this movie but he just goes absolutely loco in in this movie and i mean his his vengeance is is almost on a different level than any movie you've ever seen. Similar to other films you've seen, uh, and I think it's interesting too that, you know, if if they would have killed his cat, he probably would have sent him a thank you note, but it was a dog. uh, And and that's why we care so much in this film is that it's an actual dog. Los gatos del diablo. Uh, 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 But I'm joking, all the cat love. I'm gonna get a lot of emails this week about that. But anyways, so at first glance, when you look at John Wick, you may think this would be a message on revenge, you know, or, or taking things out on people or getting back at people when they've done you wrong. And that did occur to me, but I really feel like God has used this concept and just kind of looking into this movie, what makes it what it is, I believe is a lot of the lore that's underneath it that separates it from other just revenge movies. And there's some interesting ideas. It's, a, it's very well crafted in terms of the, the world building and the writing, the way people created these different systems and rules of honor within these assassin ranks and things like that. But a lot of it I really believe is borrowed. We even see you know, blood markers are covenants. They're blood covenants. That's a, that's a biblical concept. It's being used in a completely different way. But earning freedom back, that's a biblical concept. Earning freedom, basically redeeming, uh, paying debts, debts that exist that must be paid, biblical concepts. Uh, So I'm gonna dig into this today from a little bit of a different perspective. I'm just gonna pray that even though some of the stuff that I'm gonna talk about is pretty deep, on a theological level, even some of the terms that I will use, I'll ask that you take notes. And if you hear a word that you're not familiar with, please write it down and just study it and learn about it. And I'm just gonna pray in Jesus' name that we walk out of here today different than we walked in. And before I teach, I wanna say something about you. I think there's something to be said about a person that comes to church, a person that gets out of bed on a Sunday and comes to church. You may not be perfect, you may not have it all figured out, but you're here. Someone may have twisted your arm to get you here, but you're here. 
That means you're in this room because you want God to do something in your life. I believe that today. I believe that he will. He will not disappoint you. But I think if you go to church on a regular basis and you kind of check out and you think just because I'm here, everything's going to change. No, sometimes you got to really engage. And today is one of those days with this message. You need to re-engage your faith, re-engage your thinking, and let the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out because I believe there's something that is life-changing here. Our text is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And it says this, but in our time, something new has been added. And what, that's a New Testament scripture that's saying that the modern era of Christianity is different than the Old Testament. Then he refers back to the Old Testament. He said, what Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years, what they were talking about was coming, it's already happened. The God setting things right that we read about back then has become Jesus setting things right for us. Can someone say amen in here today? And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both, both us and them, them being non-Jewish people, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. Wow, talk about humble. Look at someone next to you, say, you are incapable. Come on, you can do it. Say, you're incapable of living the life God wants you to. Come on, look back at him again and say, by the way, so am I. We're incapable. It says, since we're incapable, God did it for us. We can't do it, so he did it for us. He said, out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. He got us out of the mess we're in. Somebody say, I'm in a mess. And restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Christ Jesus. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. Now, this is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. Now I'm about to utter a sentence that no one else in America is going to utter today. Today I'm gonna to preach on John Wick 4. <laughs> Help me pray. Father, thank you. I just ask you in Jesus' name that you would be with us in this. Holy Spirit, make this stuff come alive today. It is your word, it is your moving on our hearts that changes us. It's not simply the delivery of a speech or a sermon. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit that has the ability to transform lives. Do that within us today so that we can come out of here more like you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Three key points that I'm about to get into. I'm gonna tell you the points up front, then we'll get into them one by one. Here's the three points. We owe a debt. This film is about someone that owes a debt and they have to pay the debt. It is a covenant, they it must be paid. The organization will do anything within its power to make sure that this debt is paid. They will use all of their resources because if a debt is paid, it must be paid. And it's important for us to know as we're studying this passage of scripture that we owe a debt. That's number one. Number two, we must pay the debt. We must pay the debt that we owe. Number three, 
We cannot pay the debt. You say, wow, that sounds like my credit card. <laughs> so we owe a debt. We cannot pay the debt. We must pay the debt. That is a dilemma. So knowing that and kind of as with that as a backdrop, I want you to just remember that concept about your life, about my life. Make it, make it your own life. I think today, this, this whole message, don't ever listen to a message and think to yourself, boy, I really wish Tim was here today. Uh, that's the wrong way to approach it. Be thankful that you're here, amen? And, and let the word of God speak to your heart about you. Uh, let, let, let God deal with other people the way he deals with them. But this is for me today, okay? So I need this for me and my life today. So I wanna ask you a quick question. If you're old enough, there's, there's definitely people here that are not old enough, but if you're old enough, do you remember where you were on 9-11? Raise your hand if you remember where you were on 9-11. Okay, that's, that's everybody. I mean, there's hardly anyone that was alive during that time that doesn't remember. And if I were to ask you exactly where you were, you would probably be able to tell me. Do you remember exactly where you were? Where, where exactly were you? I was uh, changing an air unit. Perfect example. He was changing an air conditioning unit. That is so specific. And every single person in this room could give a specific thing like that. Why? Because it was such a great injustice. What took place affected us on such a deep personal level and when we saw those planes going into those buildings, something within us demanded justice. We wanted justice. Yes, we were sad. Yes, we were hurting. But we wanted somebody to pay. Okay? That is a very important idea when we are weighing out what it means to owe a debt, to need to pay that debt, and to be unable to pay that debt, it's very important that we understand that we want justice. We demand justice. When we hear about great injustices, we want it to be settled. Somebody's got to pay. Where does that come from? Well, I'll tell you what, it's unique to humans because humans are the only creatures that are truly created in the image of God. When my five-pound Havanese Bama doesn't get let outside in time, she doesn't sit around and con you know, contemplate what type of retribution is appropriate for me to feel bad about not letting her out. She doesn't think that way because she's an animal. She's a dog. Dogs don't think that way. People do. And we think that way because we're created in the image of God. The need and the desire to see justice for something. I think that's why people are able to watch John Wick. Why are they so happy when he's just killing all these people? Why? They're going, they killed his dog. Why don't you feel bad when he shoots 80 guys? You go, they were part of it. They killed his dog. <laughs> they deserve it. We feel when we see injustice that 
If we don't get some resolution, we'll be let down and someone will have gotten away with something. That come, that somebody's got to pay thing is put into us by God. So, now let's take our sin and let's take who we are as people and look at how that would be from God's side. When God is a perfect God who loved us and loved us when he created us, made us truly in his image to enjoy this world and the beauty of it, obeying him and living in his presence, no sickness, no sin, no death, nothing like that. When we messed up from the get-go, it created a separation between us and God. And that is why in theology and in the Bible, it's not written specifically, but, but this particular phrase, atonement, atonement, what does it mean? If you break the word down, it, it means exactly what it says in the word. It means at one meant. So it's making something that is separate at one. It is the process of bringing together something that is separate. We needed atonement for our sin, which separated us from God. There are people here today that are separate from God. You're separate from God because your sins have kept you from God. You have never been atoned or received the atonement that can bring you back together with him before because you haven't appropriated it correctly. There's a lot of Christians who should be living with an awareness of atonement and have been spiritually atoned by Jesus, but who are not living with an awareness of it so it does them no good in their life. In their day-to-day -day life. Today is a day for us to wake up and realize that we have been disconnected from God. Where did this feeling come from? Well, Genesis 2.17. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you do, you will die. They eat from it. Genesis 3.7 says the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. That's got to be a really weird revelation. You know, just going through your life, everything's good. And you go, holy cow, I'm naked. You know, it's like it just comes out, you just, it comes out of nowhere. And you know something's wrong because now why? You've got knowledge of something. Now you've got shame and humiliation for something because you understand there's a, such a thing as good and evil. Now I want to point something out to you that you may have read a million times, but I don't know if you've ever read it like this before. I, I mean, it's, it's really a big deal. Genesis 3.21 says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Garments of what? Where does skin come from? It comes from an animal. God made garments of skin. So in front of Adam and Eve, God kills an animal. Can you imagine two beings that were created in the image of God with complete and total innocence? who now even are so innocent, they're like, oh, I'm naked. You know, it, 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 no, it's like they don't even know what that is. And now God is killing an animal. Blood. Every, I mean, they're, oh, I mean, imagine the, 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 the horror. And what is God thinking in this moment? He's going, I told you. I told you, do not eat from that tree. Now you see what is going to have to happen. This is a foreshadowing. 
The horror that you feel and the outrage that you feel that I'm doing this is for you. I'm doing this to show grace to you. And this became a motif all throughout scripture that highlights how significant sin is and the price that must be paid to bring about at one again for this separation. It is a big deal. Animal blood in the Old Testament could only cover up sin. That's why in my text scripture in Colossians, I was saying all the things that Moses and those guys were talking about was coming has already happened in Christ. So we get to live in the beauty of this revelation if we'll just get the revelation. And here it is. Animal blood only covered up sin in the past. But when John the Baptist looked at Jesus in John chapter one, verse nine, he said, behold, the lamb of God, not that covers up the sins of the world, but that takes away the sins of the world. He was saying that Jesus is going to set right all the things that we messed up in the garden when we separate ourselves in this this process that is completely unrealistic to keep going of every time I sin, this animal's got to die. That animal's, it was okay for a time period, but it was just a foreshadowing. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things that in him, his blood takes away sin when we put our faith in him. So let's look at those points that I made at the beginning, and let's dig into each one of them. Number one, we owe a great debt to God. We all know what it's like to be in debt. We live in a country that is in debt over $31 trillion. You guys are like, that's a lot. (laughs) Sounds like a lot. It is a whole lot. That's a 31 with 12 zeros after it. And with 335 million people in our country, I just put one here and divided it by that. That basically means that if you know someone who has a little baby, when the doctor says, congratulations, it's a boy, you hold that baby, you go, welcome into the world, you owe $95,000. per person. That's, that's, the, that's the national debt. So we know what it's like to be in debt because we're in debt to things that we didn't even get ourselves into. You didn't have anything to do with that, but you are America. I'm America. We're all part of that. That's part of us being living in this country is we share in that debt that to some degree we created, but other people created a lot of that for us that wasn't our choice. In the same kind of way, spiritually, there is a debt that we didn't create all of it. But we created it for ourselves and we have a spiritual debt. And other religions teach us that you have to pay off that debt yourself. Christianity is so different from every other religion. I'm sorry, but superior. <laughs> superior. In, in the, I'm actually not sorry because I'm grateful that I get to be a part of it because what Christ did for me, I could never do for myself. Any other religion that teaches you that you have to make up for the things you've done wrong is whack from the beginning because there can be no way to to make amends for all the things that we have done. And people try 
You know, in India, the Hindu festival of Taipasam worships Murugan, the god of war. And in this particular festival, there's a ritual known as Kavadi. And people carry these weights uphill and they pierce their hands and they put, they put swords through their face and, and, and pierce their uh, ears and their necks with, with all these things. And they're bleeding everywhere. And they're literally hurting. They skewer themselves. They dangle themselves from meat hooks and they pass them through their backs and their legs. And they, you know, one of the, one of the guys from the religion said, the greater the pain, the greater the God earned merit. I would not do well in that religion. I'll just be honest with you. In Hinduism, it's pretty vast, many different branches, but a man that was a missionary was on the Ganges River, and there's this time where of the year where people will come and they will lament their problems and their mistakes and things like that. And a young woman there took her infant baby and put her in the river and put the baby in the river and let the baby go and was just as a sacrifice to to make amends for her own shortcomings. And this missionary tells this story, M.V. Varghese, that says he came along and saw this woman after she did this, and she was just weeping and broken and had been made to believe that that could compensate for her failures. And he told her about Jesus and that her sins could be forgiven. And she said, I've never heard that before. And she said, why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? Earlier, You know, every year, millions of people come to the holy Indian city of Hardwar to bathe in the river Ganges. They come believing that this ritual washes their sins away, that things and actions can take sins away. My wife went to Bible school in the Philippines in the village of San Fernando, Villagers nail themselves to cro the cross every year and they reenact the crucifixion. They, they get scars on their back and they whip each other and they beat each other. And, uh, you know, this guy says, you know, there's a quote here. He says, after being nailed to the cro cross, I feel so refreshed. This guy needs to go to a spa. I mean, like that, that's, that's like the wrong definition of refreshment right there. Uh, like all my sins are washed away. Uh, I'm just trying to show you, we know we have a debt. Even if you're in a different religion, you're aware of this. We know it deep inside. No matter what a good person we are, when we lay down in bed at night, we know. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all. So if you're here today and you think that your sin is not quite as bad as the person next to you, if you've broken one, you've broken them all when it comes to God. If you've left out one part of it, you've left it all out. And it's just simple, simple, guilty, not guilty with God. You've broken any part of his law, you're guilty. And what is the judgment? Death. So you can break them all or you can break one. But when it comes to God, if you've ever sinned, you are guilty. And there's not more or less guilty. It's either guilty or not guilty. Romans 5, 19 tells us, for as by one man's 
disobedience, many were made sinners. Who is that one person? Adam, that's referring to. As by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. What, who is that person? That's Jesus. So we know that one man made us guilty and another man was obedient and lived a sinless life in Jesus that through him, by putting our faith in him, we would be able to be made righteous. But we know that all of us are guilty. Many were made sinners, meaning all. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, As we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 59 and 2 says, your sins or your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Why do we need atonement at one minute? Because that's telling us we're separate. Sin has separated us. We should worry about that if we're not living in the blessing and the covering of Jesus. That should bother you, that you're separated from God. And please do not have the attitude of, well, he sees everything, he knows everything, he'll make the right call. If he makes the right call, you're going to go to hell. That doesn't work out too well for you. That's why scripture is so important. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't you know people that like to do that? We like to do that to ourselves. To, to, to elevate ourselves and put other people down because they sin differently. So, so hope, hope point number one comes across well is that we have a debt. We have a debt. Number two, we must pay our debt. It must be paid. God, if you think that in John Wick that people require debts to be paid, it, try, you cannot even comprehend what it means to owe God a debt. God is the ultimate judge that no one will escape from having to look at him or try in his presence when he makes us accountable for every thought, every action. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ, even Christians will appear before God and be accountable. At the judgment seat of Christ, non-Christians will go to a place, people who have rejected Christ will go to something called the great white throne judgment where they will have to be accountable and they will have to pay for their own debt. They will pay their debt with an eternity separated from God. We must pay our debt. God cannot and will not overlook it. Why? You say, well, I thought he was a God of grace. Psalm 45, 6 and 7 said, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Justice. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companies by anointing you with the oil of joy. Why can't God just forgive people? Because he is just. What good judge, what just judge 
would look at a serial rapist. You've got all the family members that are standing there in the trial and say, you know what, I've changed my mind. I, I think, you know, you're really sorry. Just go free. That's not just. It's not appropriate. Somebody must pay for what happened. So in order for God to be loving, right? In order for God to be, you say, why isn't he just more loving? You can't be loving without being just. You must be fair. And the fairness can't be society's standard for fairness. In this case, it's God's standard for fairness, which is perfection. Habakkuk 1.3 says of God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. What does that tell us about our life when we are Christians and we call ourselves Christians and we live sinful lives? What does that say about us that God cannot even look upon evil? If we're living lives where we're watching just anything, whether it's pornography or, or listening to music that is sexual in nature or, or cursing all over the place or you're on TikTok all day just watching everything that God knows what it is and where it's coming from and what the philosophy is and we're just letting this stuff pour into our lives when the Bible says that God cannot even look at evil. If our lives are consumed with evil, what does that say about him looking at us? Especially if we're redeemed. This is not a message that is intended. The intent of the message is not to make people feel bad about the way they're living. The, the intent of this message through this film is to show that in this film, there's a consistent and regular high regard for the, the cost, the debt, the covenants, and the rules that apply in that world. If, a, if an assassin can do it in a movie, why can't we do it as Christians in the real world where Jesus paid the price for it for us to live free every single day? That's my question. Regard for the truth. So what is the truth we're dealing with here today? We owe a debt. We must pay. Somebody say, I owe a debt. Say, I must pay the debt. And say, I cannot pay the debt. I owe a debt, I must pay the debt, I cannot pay the debt. That brings us to number three, we cannot pay the debt. If you've ever done anything, lied, cheated, stolen, been greedy, felt hatred, unforgiveness, if you've done one of them, you've done all of them. James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law, all of it, every single bit, and you stumble at one point of it is guilty of breaking it all. That is a standard we cannot relate to. You know what we do? We assign somebody a task and we say, hey, here's, here's 100 objectives that you have and you have to do them all perfectly. That's the standard. And they do 90 of them perfectly. And what do we do at the end? We go, they did pretty good. You know, they, 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 did, they, didn't, they didn't really mean that last part. It's, as a matter of fact, 90 out of 100, let's just call that an A. You know, we give him an A. Yeah, that, that, that's our mentality. But when it comes to God, you can keep all of his law. You can be absolutely perfect your whole life. 
Never make one mistake and right at the end slip up one time and you're just as guilty as the worst person that ever lived. Right? It's, it's a hard thing for us to deal with philosophically and it's definitely not culturally popular to say, but it's the Bible. Isaiah 64 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That means our own personal righteousness that we can produce apart from God is like trash. I, I, I want to point this out too. This is, I don't know why I left the scripture out in the last service. It's so beautiful. Revelation chapter five, verses two through four says, I saw a mighty angel. This is a future event that John is seeing. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one or heaven or earth. There is a seal, a scroll that is sealed in heaven that the judgments of God are on the scroll in the book of Revelation. And as John is seeing this in real time, a voice says, who is worthy? The only one person can break this seal or only someone that is, remember in Avengers how the, the hammer, there's only one guy that can pick up the hammer? There was supposed to be one guy, right? And you gotta be worthy enough to pick up the hammer. Only the one who's pure, pure enough or whatever is able to pick up it. This is, they borrowed that. I mean, this, this is like from Jesus here. This, this is like, this is from Revelation. So in, in Revelation, it's saying that the angel actually says, who is worthy to open this scroll? I have no idea why I get emotional even when I read this, but it says, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. And I don't know why the rest of it's not written uh, here, but I know the rest of it. Can you go to the next part? I mean, I, can, I remember what it says, but, but basically it just says, that finally, they looked and say, hey, look, that looks as, that's, that's like a lamb that looks like it has been slain. And Jesus, they see Jesus in the form of a slain lamb. And Jesus was the one who was worthy enough. Only one was worthy enough. There's only been one that was worthy enough to meet God's standards for perfection. And only that person has the ability to pay the debt that we owe, to pay the debt that we must pay, to pay the debt that we cannot pay. His name is Jesus. So in order for the debt to be paid, God must become one of us. That's why in my opening text from Romans, Chapter three, I think I said Colossians earlier, it's Romans. It says what Moses and the prophets witnessed to all these years, it's happened. This, it's be, it, it, it was God setting things right that we read about. It says that has now become Jesus setting things right for us now. God did it for us out of sheer generosity. He got us out of the mess that we're in, it says in the message translation. What mess? Being separated from God. Look at someone next to you and say, now that's a mess. 
That's a real mess. Being separated from God is a real mess. But God became a man and paid the debt on our behalf. The cross was God's solution where the justice of God meets the perfect love of God. I'm so thankful for the cross today that Jesus became a man, lived a sinless life to fulfill the righteous demands of the law and died in our place. He didn't owe a debt. So he alone had the moral resources to pay mine. That's what atonement is. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I want to give you three things in closing that can help us understand the atonement better. And, and remember, you've got these awesome stunt guys that are coming out here showing us kind of like some action things from the movie and it kind of all ties in. But what, what's tying in that I want to, you to take with you as you're looking back on our summer series and asking yourself why I taught about this, I want to remind you once again, we're dealing with a world that within the world of this film People are constantly aware of the value of things, the rules of things, the symbolism involved in things. But yet as Christians, sometimes we're oblivious. We just don't think about anything. We're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. I went to blink. I raised my hand, whatever. I'm not sure what the process is, thought process for a lot of us, but I know we don't weigh this out. Yeah. And the goal of this message is that we will so here are three things that can help us better understand the atonement. I'm gonna tell you all three, then I'm gonna go into depth on each one of them. Number one, redemption. Number two, propitiation. And number three, transformation. Redemption, propitiation, and transformation. If you don't use those words regularly, please write them down um, because you can get some meaning out of that. Redemption is what we need. Propitiation is what he does. And transformation is the way we should be thinking and the way we should be living because of those things. Okay, so redemption, let's start there. Redemption, this can help us better understand the atonement. Redemption is to buy something back that was worthless, to give it value again, to take something that had no value and to give it value, to give someone freedom. Redemption in the, in the regard of, of slavery, when we think about slavery thousands and thousands of years ago, even in Jewish culture, and it preceded Jewish culture with Egypt, the reason for slavery back then had everything to do with the concept of debt and how different it is than our current concept of debt. Now, if someone's in debt, they probably don't really care that much. Why? Because it's not illegal to be in debt here. If you're in debt and you owe somebody money and you don't pay them, you're just not a very nice person and they can try to do all kinds of things to get it back. But I mean, other, you know, now you got like caller ID so you just don't answer the phone anymore. When debt collectors call, you're like, ah, block. You know, so you're like, you don't really have to deal with it that much anymore. But like in the old days, if you owed somebody money, you had to pay them. And if you didn't pay them, you belonged to them. That's the way that you paid off your debt. 
There was no, oh yeah, I, I bought this, I didn't pay him back. You became property until you paid off that debt. And there were times for redemption where you could be set free once your debt was paid off. But think about redemption, what Christ has done for us, redeeming us. Imagine a $500 million winning lottery ticket. Imagine that. What if you found it in a parking lot? If you found it in a parking lot, it's laying there with no value. I mean, it's got value, but it's not being used. Why? Because in order to redeem it, you have to know where to take it. You can't get the value out of it until you take it to the right place. And in the same way, for me, I was worthless. I had potential in Christ, but I was worthless until the Holy Spirit found me, until the Holy Spirit let me know that I need God. Then I was at the right place and something that had no value was redeemed. But I got news for you. There's a lot of people that until they answer the voice of the Lord, they're that ticket that's laying there. And if you don't redeem it, and especially when it passes its time, you only have a certain amount of time that you can redeem that lottery ticket. There comes a date that once that date comes, it has zero value. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. So when we think about redemption, it's to buy back. And now propitiation. Propitiation is appeasing the anger and the need for justice that someone has. So when you think about one of the examples I use sometimes around Easter is like King Kong. When you see King Kong, how the people that are on the island, they bring a human sacrifice to King Kong like once a year and that appeases its propitiation. That's literally what it is. You're appeasing this creature that could kill you, but because you're making this particular sacrifice, there's mercy and he lets everyone live. And it's funny that when we hear this concept about God, our first reaction is that's barbaric. How dare who, who, if that's really God, who would he be to ever do something like that? That sounds like the world, or that sounds like something that would come from the world. Well, actually, you may want to take it up with him, because I just read you a scripture out of Genesis where he slaughtered an animal. And then he made it a rule that if you sinned, you had to kill an animal to cover up your own mistake. What is that? Propitiation. So what God does, he does for reasons that he does them. But that is what God demands. He demands justice for sin. And fortunately for us, as John wrote about in the New Testament, when he saw that lamb looking like it was slain, it's to satisfy wrath, to bring justice, to turn away anger. People have such a problem with this. But you can't have goodness or love without intolerance for evil against those you love. Look, I just want to tell you something about propitiation today. When, when you are wronged, you have two choices. You can either hurt the person that wronged you. You hurt them. It is, it is your mission after that has been done. They know they wronged you, you know they wronged you, and now there's only two choices. You can either hurt them 
or you can forgive, but it's not that simple because when you forgive, you're, you're being hurt. Okay, now this is not something you're gonna hear a lot of people talk about, but it's true. Because what it means is that I wanna John Wick someone. That's the way someone feels when you're wronged. What you mean is you want to see them go through pain. You wanna put pain back on someone that has hurt you. But when you forgive, what are you doing? You're taking those feelings for justice you're taking those feelings to see someone pay a consequence or suffer in some way. You want them to see them suffer. You want to see them hurt. But in order to forgive, you have to allow yourself to be hurt for what they've done. Then you've got to take that hurt and you've got to give it to God. But you have to first be hurt before you can give that to God. A lot of Christians want to make that so much holier than that. They just don't want to even admit. They're like, it's absolutely no hurt. And as a matter of fact, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. You know, it's like you come up with all these really weird phrases that I don't understand. But the truth of the matter is that when you are wronged, you have two choices. One is you go try to hurt the person or you must be hurt. Now, why am I making that point? Because I want you to think for a moment about what Jesus did. Jesus is God. The sins that we have committed, we have committed against Christ himself. So Jesus had two choices. What were his choices? He could either hurt us or he could be hurt himself. And in order to truly forgive us, he had to allow himself to be hurt. And that's why the book of Isaiah tells us that he was beyond recognition. You couldn't even tell that he, if he was a man or a woman. He was beaten beyond recognition, mutilated for our sins. But when wrong takes place, that debt must be paid. Somebody's going to get hurt. So you have redemption, propitiation, and then finally the last one, transformation. And that's why I preach this message, is to get to this point. I want you to be transformed today. I want you to have a brand new revelation of what it means to have atonement in your life, that you were separate from God, but you have an awareness now of what he did to buy you back, to bring you back into fellowship with him. Colossians 3, 9 says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, and when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured. Woo. Like the Messiah, our, our lives gradually becoming brighter and brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. What is it saying? It's saying that when we have an awareness of the atonement, it's like carrying around those markers in that movie. The markers, a covenant 
and I've got a covenant here. And that means I can trust this. I never have to worry about this again because of this marker. Well, the marker for us are the scars in Jesus' hands and his feet and the wound in his side. And he let Thomas touch those wounds. He said, hey, here it is. This is my marker. I am your marker. And every time you look at me, you have a promise that there's a new way of life. Now be transformed by this revelation. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. Do away with this old junky life that you live without this revelation at the forefront of your thinking. Start living with that revelation at the forefront of your thoughts before you put your feet on the ground in the morning. Tell yourself out loud, I have been reconciled to God. I have been atoned. I am at one with God today because of what Jesus did for me. I'm not going to live like everyone else lives. I'm not going to live like I used to live any longer. I live a transformed life. this constant awareness in this movie creates a, a, an intriguing story and in these films he's able through his own skill set and, and good fortune to evade the ultimate consequence for himself until the very very end and I think a lot of people are like that in this life They've never experienced that high level of retribution and they've been able to talk their way out of situations and through being in the right place at the right time or working this out or work that out, you feel like you've got away with stuff. I'm gonna tell you something. The Bible says it is appointed for man once to die, then the judgment. That means no matter how long you avoid the consequences, you will stand before God someday. And even in this film, can't avoid that forever and when you come to that point I want you to be able with confidence to say I lived God knowing what you did for me and I honored it I valued it it was at the forefront of my thinking and I'm so grateful that Jesus you did that for me he did it for me you know, Robert Coleman tells a story in his book, Written in Blood, that I, I, I've never forgotten this story. It just makes an impact when you hear it. But it's the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. And the doctor explained to him that the disease that he had recovered from he recovered from it in time where he was able to be okay, but she had progressed and not recovered from that same disease two years later to the point where she now needed a transfusion and it could only be from someone that had recovered from that disease with the same blood type. So it narrowed it down greatly, the number of people, and they had a, both had a very rare blood type. He was the only person they could find. And so this is a very little boy. 
And so the doctor explained this to the little boy. And he said, you, Johnny, would be the ideal donor for your sister. He said, would you give your blood to Mary, your sister? And the little boy, his bottom lip started to tremble. And he sat there and breathed real heavy for a second. And then he got a big smile on his face. He said, sure. He said, I'll do it for my sister. And soon the two children were wheeled into a hospital room. Mary was pale and thin. Johnny was healthy and robust. And neither of them spoke, but their eyes met. And Johnny gave her a big smile to calm her down because she was nervous. And as he had the needle put into his arm, his smile started to fade and he watched the blood flow from the tube. And when the ordeal was almost over, his weak, shaky voice broke through the silence and said to the doctor, he said, sir, when do I die? And the doctor, who is the one who was telling this story, said, the moment that that young boy asked me that question, he said, I, my heart was shattered into a million pieces because I realized that when he said yes to giving his blood for his sister, he thought he meant that he was going to have to die to do it. And he said, buddy, you're not going to die. He said, but you saved your sister's life. And see, when I think about that kind of love that was willing to give everything, I don't have to look to a story to simply be inspired by it because that kind of love has already been given to me. Jesus looked at my condition and when God the Father said, somebody must pay for Jeff, somebody must pay for his sin and it's gonna have to be the ultimate price. Jesus got a smile on his face and he said, I'll do it for Jeff. And he gave everything that he had for me. And I know that at the moment that he did it, I was on his mind. And you were as well. The atonement is remembering that. I don't want to be guilty of walking out of this building and not having an awareness on a regular basis of what that means. How different do I treat people when I remember what that means? How different is the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives when we know what that means and we have that marker with us on a daily basis? So I want to give you an opportunity to know the Lord if you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Those of you that are watching online, sorry I didn't welcome you earlier. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing. I know that God is moving in your life as well. And I believe right now, this invitation for you to get your heart right with God is just as significant as those that are in this room. So I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you need Jesus to become the Lord of your life, if you need to put your faith in Christ, remember, you owe a debt, you must pay the debt. You cannot pay the debt. Only Jesus can do that. So if that's you today and you've never called on the name of the Lord, I'm going to count to three just simply because I think we need a call to action sometimes. And in a service like this, I believe that moment is now. I don't think you should run away from an opportunity when you know the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, like Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says. Now is that moment. Now is the time of salvation.
Bible says. So if you're watching online, when I count to three, I'll ask you to lift your hand for you to type in that chat. The moment you lift your hand, type in the chat. I'm lifting my hand. I need Jesus. And if you're in this room, when I count to three, put your hand above your head quickly and with some confidence today, knowing God loves you and he cares for you. You're ready to make him the Lord of your life and to turn away from the old life. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person in this room has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this very moment. Three, hands up all over the room if that's you. Come on, hands lifted. Every single section, I see some hands going up. Amen, amen. Hands in every single section. People online, lifting your hands right now. Type in the chat. I'm lifting my hand. I need Jesus in my life. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me out loud. Say, I ask you, Lord, come on, church, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life walking into a brand new life with you Lord Jesus I am at one with you again Lord it is because of Jesus that I have this confidence I am free I am forgiven I will live with an awareness of your goodness an awareness of the atonement from this day forward in Jesus name Come on, give God a great praise today. He is worthy and he is so, so good. Bless you. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.